All right, we are live at the National Black Market for the Juneteenth celebration, and I am sitting down with the wonderful Jaffe Jeweler. Jaffe Jeweler? Judah. Judah. That's how I was like, you got jewelry in your name? That's how fire. That's how icy. Not fire. That sounds icy. Well, I'm going to pass the mic to you in a sec. We're going to do a little pass the off situation. But the first question I want to ask you is, being that this is a Juneteenth celebration, so we're celebrating technically the freedom of black Americans in America, what does freedom mean to you as a black man living in America in 2023? Thank you. Uh, for having me here today. This is an awesome moment and this is a great event. Um, and I love the setup and you got some great energy. So, uh, man, what does it mean? What, is, what does freedom mean to me? Freedom as a black man. As a black man means an unlimited, I mean not unlimited, but not a limited uh, access to opportunities, uh, information, as well as resources to help build oneself as well as community so it can be sustainable, not only for the years that we are present, but even after our legacy lives on. So that's what like freedom means to me, right? Because if I'm not able to you know, pursue freedom, joy, happiness, and liberty, I don't feel like, you know, I'm free, right? So, uh, days like this are good to, for a number of reasons, you know, just because one, we're able to uh, have a black agenda to, to connect to that I think can help build a consensus on uh, what direction you know, will add the most values now and then in the future. Uh, and it's also good because we're promoting group economics and not just like waiting until like one day out the year when it's Kwanzaa, you know what I'm saying, to acknowledge that. So that's like super important. Uh, so yeah, that's what I say to that. Freedom, that's what freedom means to me. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, your freedom has been taken away from you at some point in your life, correct? Yeah. yeah. How long was your freedom taken away from you? Uh, how long was my freedom taken away from me? Man. Shit. I mean, I'm still not free. You feel me? I'm just in a different institution. You know what I'm saying? They turn... They turned the plantation into 40 hours a week, you know what I'm saying? So I really still ain't free, but if you're referring to when I was incarcerated in prison, I was uh, I was incarcerated for like six years, nine months. Uh, I got locked up when I was a juvenile, and because of the, uh, because of the like, uh, seriousness of the crime, they charged me as an adult. You got what I'm saying? I had to go to adult prison as a juvenile. So uh, I was like 15, 16. You know what I'm saying? I was super young. I, I really went from like middle school to prison. That's all I remember back when I was like, because I was only in high school for like a year and I got kicked out twice. You know what I'm saying? So like, uh, I went from middle school to prison, so I was really, I really grew up in the penitentiary, and uh, I got out when I was 22 and started focusing on uh, working my plan that I had developed while I was inside, and just uh, you know working on building uh, a more 
healthier environment for me to coexist in and thrive with. Yeah. So while you were incarcerated, you said you were working on your plan for when you got out. While you were inside, what resources, opportunities, support were you getting to even curate that plan for your release? Was there anyone? Was there any people? Was there any groups? Like, what did you have inside to help you while you were about to come outside? Come back outside. So let me get it straight. You said, what did I have inside that helped me build myself to prepare for the outside world? Uh, there is no blueprint for originality. So I really didn't have no one to look towards on what I saw. You know what I'm saying? I was more so taking pieces from fragments of either people or information or experiences and figuring out a way or my plan to uh, I would say uh, galvanize the movement behind that energy and come out and do my own version you know so I don't feel like I did anything new but I just did something my way and doing it my way there was no there was no blueprint you know uh, people like in music like uh, Dead Bridge uh, they were very influential in my uh, awakening of RBG. I say people like Malcolm X, uh, my family members, you know what I'm saying? They were very influential with the uh, words they were writing in them letters. And it really was a lot of just myself wanting it, wanting to be better. You get what I'm saying? Uh, and wanting better to look like what I, what I got in mind and not what somebody else has told me what it should be. Yeah. So, yeah. I love how you said be better because if you think about it, the reason why <laughs> the reason why we have a judicial system is to reprimand for certain crimes, punishments, things of that nature. But the goal is supposed to be to reform to be a better person. But what we tend to learn from experiences from those that have been inside is there's no one really or no sources or no support in there to be a better person. It's almost like it's a place for certain people in this category to take out their frustrations or just isolate like that sense of isolation yeah. so when it comes to being a better person learning and being um, not punished because I think that's an aggressive word for your crimes how did you find it within yourself to be like okay there's no one inside that's helping and I know I want better for myself so I'm gonna work on diligently changing my mindset changing my environment and changing my own trajectory to curate the opportunities that I want for myself it's almost like independent work that you had to do so what was that driving force to get you to do that independent work and stay on that I think what was what what was it? Say that question one more time. What was it for you to decide that you were gonna take it amongst yourself to be a better person and have a better outlook and better opportunity? Gotcha. So for me the institution where I was at, they had a lot of different programs, but at the time, I wasn't like as clear on like 
what skill I want to be trained in because once I got locked up I started to understand that it's really a matrix out here and I use matrix to metaphorically speak like it's, it's really like everybody on a certain program and depending on what program you on it's your results are contingent on what kind of program you on so and your belief system is at the core of every program you get what I'm saying so that's one so I had to get you know uh, I was in a I was in a lot of different programs I was in anger management I was in family and wellness I was in uh, man I don't know how many I took programs I don't man I just took them just so I could have it when I go to the parole board I got denied like three times so uh, what was it? I mean, it was just a lot of just like inner work that had to be done, but it was also a lot of like asking for help or asking for like, hey, bro, I need you to guide me on this, or I need you to, I don't understand this right here, you know. And also like, I think for me, like, I also, uh, I at a certain time, and I, and, I, and sometimes I still do. I like to go to the extreme. And sometimes when you go to the furthest limit where you can take it, it's like now everything else is like don't either, not really that difficult or don't really matter. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I used to be one of them kids who didn't know how to deal with their, I guess, emotions or learn how to communicate well. So I, I would go, everything was zero to a hundred. You know what I'm saying? Everything was zero to a hundred. So now it's like everything is like zero to 20. You know what I'm saying? Like, hold on, get the, step back, get the facts, don't react. You know, as I heal my trauma by, you know, building a sense of community where I met as well as uh, just improving what I just digest and take in. You know what I'm saying? You know, they say that if you able to control your, your mouth, your tongue, your uh, desires, your sex desires, and uh, what you speak, what you speak, what you eat, and your desires, something like that, 99% of your problems are already solved. You know, so basically just like learn how to be more conscious and intentional. Uh, Man, practicing stuff like abstinence, you know what I'm saying, from sex, you know what I'm saying, like, all those different things work, you know what I'm saying, like, you know, you all, you gotta do it to, with, to the limit you need to do it to, for me, you know, I did it to the limit that was good enough for me, and I, that, it helped me become what I am today, you know what I'm saying, uh, I hope that answers the question, because it's like, it's no, like, one or two type things, you feel me, but it's all like, and... It depends on what season of my life you talking about. Because, you know what I'm saying, when I was like 19, self-care looked different from when I'm 25. When I turned 20, when I turned 30, it looked different when I was, you know what I'm saying? So it depends on what season I was in my life, you know what I'm saying? Like I was doing different methods and different things. Um, and, and yeah, like I say, my faith, my faith is a big part of everything I do. Uh, I practice Rastafari. Uh, I've been practicing Rastafari since I was like 19. Uh, and also just in embracing a, a lifestyle of RBG, which is revolutionary but gangster. You know, staying, staying military-minded, but at the same time, focusing on health and wellness. You know what I'm saying? And not trying to use that energy to put something negative or detrimental to my people or myself. Or, you know what I'm saying? On my mental health. You get what I'm saying? So, big up to people. Well, 
Man, big up to everybody who been supporting, man, for real, for real, because, like, it's been a journey. You get what I'm saying? Like, because I didn't come out of prison just, like, ready to do it. Like, I went back to jail, then I got back out, and then I was like, oh, let's do this. You know what I'm saying? So, it like, it's, it depends on what season you talking about. You know what I'm saying? Just, it's like, yeah, for real, it's a struggle. You know what I'm saying? So, but I'm at a, I'm at a point where now, it's like, I'm focused on nothing but, you know, improving myself, improving my community, improving others. I'm not tolerating or attending no BS for real, like honestly. Wow, um, that's just what the area my my headspace is in right now. Yeah. That was a beautiful response. So thank you for that. Uh, how did you feel comfortable getting to this space in your life? Like you had mentioned, you were asking for help. You were doing the programs, and yes, you were doing it to go for parole. But then you were denied three times, and you still kept doing it, and you still kept finding different ways to fit these different seasons. What made you come? One, what made you comfortable being able to ask for help, especially as a black man? And two, um, my question would be, what mental health resources, whether outside or that you developed for yourself, have you been utilizing to stay on the fact of you saying, this is where I'm at today and this is where I'm gonna continue being? Like, what resources led you to be like, I'm good here, I'm gonna stay here, and I'm focused on giving back? So, what resources, the second half of that question is what resources led me there? Uh, I mean, for me, it was it was family. Honestly, family is a big part of who I am. When I was doing the wrong thing and the right thing, so family, uh, mentors. You know, I, I started to embrace mentors that were more positive and righteous. Um, and I would say. Uh, a lot of self-determination. Uh, reading a lot of books on pan-Africanism and a lot of books on spirituality. And also, you asked me, how did I get comfortable? I'm never comfortable. That's the thing, I'm never comfortable. I done did a lot of stuff afraid. I done did a lot of stuff unsure. I done did a lot of stuff not planned out, not thought out. You know what I'm saying? I done did a lot of stuff of impulse, but now I do a lot of stuff off intention, right? And now it's like I'm at a point, you know what I'm saying? I, I used to be very impulsive, but now I'm on intention because it's like, uh, you know, you got to learn how to release or when to use certain energy for certain stuff. And I've learned how to be more calm with myself, be more patient with myself. Um, I never got comfortable. I, I don't think you're supposed to get comfortable. I think you get more and you get stronger in your alignment. But I don't, if, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever be comfortable because I didn't have no background in sustainability. You know, uh, I didn't. I, I had a background. I was an artist first, you know, doing music, um, and then I went into bar. 
car brand, all different type of things. So, uh, I would say, like, I, I never got comfortable. It's not about being comfortable. Matter of fact, if you comfortable, man, you need to switch it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I'm never, I'm not afraid of confrontation. That's another thing. Like, I'm not afraid of confrontation at all. So, having hard discussions, um, asking difficult questions. What's up, brother? Uh, you know, bigging up my brother or like showing love. I man, whatever it is, I'm gonna be all the way with it. If it's the wrong thing or the right thing, you know, I'm gonna be all the way with it. So I think, and you know, I, I come from a different generation too. You know, I come from a, I'm from out east. You know what I'm saying, South Inglewood. You know what I'm saying. So I come from a different generation to where like values and morals meant something. You get what I'm saying? Like, uh, what you doing and who you doing it with meant something. You know, who speak on your name meant something. Who, who, you know what I'm saying? Who don't speak in your name meant something. You know what I'm saying? Like, I come from a different generation, so I think that has to do with it too. I was brought up different. You know what I'm saying? With that, like I said, so I, I ain't never been comfortable as well as uh, it's just a thing of mentors. Taking in better information, self-determination, taking the initiative and being more intentional, not impulsive, and giving yourself grace, you know what I'm saying? And understand that you can't do everything for everybody all the time. You know what I'm saying? That's what it took, really. I love the impulse to intentionality. That was key. Mic drop. You said you was an artist. That was a bar right there. With that, it seems like some of the intentional work that you're doing now is with the youth and agriculture. Can you talk a little bit about what drove you to mirror the two together, working in agriculture, and why it's important to work with the youth? So, well, I mean, I'm, I'm more so, I'm a little bit in agriculture, ecology, but more so sustainability, right? And working with the youth and sustainability, um, I would say the reason we got into that is because once I got out of prison, I had noticed, and based off research, I had noticed how in these underserved communities with high crime, there's like an influx of pollution, air pollution, water pollution, uh, litter, you know what I'm saying, on the sidewalks, and walk on the sidewalks, alleyways, fun streets, and I was like, you know, I, 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 myself, when I got out, I used to do community cleanups as a way of like therapy and a way of like just like wanting to give back, you know what I'm saying? So I, I started doing that myself out east. And then I met with mentor, another mentor named Joe Bosley, and meeting with Brooke, you know, he mentored me into um, learning and doing learning about nonprofits. And once I started learning about how to get a 501c3 and how they can, you know, what that does for the community, etc., I was like, oh, that's dope. That sounds like something I might want to do, you know what I'm saying? So we kept doing cleanups, and then eventually we, we started Recycle and Reinvest in 2018. Um, but I wanted to, you know, I wanted to create that program. I wanted to create the organization because I feel like well, there's well, you see trash from the ground, that could be a job. You know what I'm saying? We often associate litter 
or picking up litter, picking up trash as something like as a punishment and not a priority. You get what I'm saying? Like how I came up, it was like we cleaned up on Sunday before the week start. Shit, you gonna, you know, have your clothes washed, cleaning music, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, we doing, it's like, that's how I grew up. You feel what I'm saying? It's like, now you don't see that in the kids today. You know what I'm saying? They on some whole other type of time. You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, we, we felt, you know, we felt that we should start the organization because a lot of these kids that we see running around like in JC Nebula, they need something to do. And they need some money in their pocket. So what can we get them to do? You know, how about we get them to pick up trash? We do community cleanups in underserved communities. We've renovated over 50 uh, buildings and locations, uh, beautified over 50 plus neighborhoods. Uh, we've collected over, you know, 5,000 pounds of trash, you know. Uh, so it's like, and we planted 40 trees. We've planted 40 trees since in underserved communities. So we've did a lot of different things uh, from an environmental justice you know, approach um, in order to build um, love and also, you know, build uh, community, build our community, help close the gap between trash and crime. And the way we want to do that is by teaching sustainability and providing more jobs for people in the communities that are impacted by these issues. So typically when you get institutionalized, it's supposed to help you become a better person and learn from the mistakes that you have made. But it sounds like majority of the remarkable men that come out with like plans and doing work, they always do give back work and they want to showcase, but it sounds like more independent work that happens when it comes to reform is once you are released. And with that independent work, that takes a lot of like mental strength. How do you find and how do you sustain your own mental work to ensure that like you are seeing this through? So, that's a good question because <coughs> when we when we thinking about how do we sustain, you can create a plan that don't mean your plan gonna work. You know, everybody got a plan so they can hit in the mouth. Word to Mike Tyson. Uh, so to sustain what was what what we have and what was you know the work that was being done in the work and the plan. I feel like, for me, I had to disassociate myself with certain people in certain environments and certain things that wasn't uh, reciprocal of the new me, right? In a way that was uh, uh, conducive to my health and my well-being and my uh, yeah, my wealth and my health and well-being. So. Um, I would also say uh, 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 creating a new definition of what it means to be a man. You know what I'm saying? Because I had like so many different fragments of the wrong examples and I had fragments of what they thought was a man. Right? So it was like, oh, that, but that ain't what it is for me. You know what I'm saying? So 
things like that, you know, like sometimes your plan not gonna work, and you are gonna have to learn how to be flexible and adjust to the to the terrain and adjust to the uh, territory. Um, and man, I, I I say like, how did I sustain it? How did I? Oh man, I sustained it by community support too. That's another thing, like man, since I, no cap, like no cap, like since I have been doing my first event, which was Hip Hop Bill Slam, a long time ago, fight even had an organization. We was at Rocket Town with it, man. The community support me, tough. You know what I'm saying? Like they support me, bro. I ain't never been like one of them artists. Like when I do a show, people don't show up. Nah, people show up. So I don't. I ain't never been like in a bit of space. You know what I'm saying? I always been like in a growing and thriving and like figure it out as I go. You know what I'm saying? Like that's another thing. Like I, you know, maybe if I didn't get the support that I get now, maybe I would be a little different approach and different attitude. But like the the, the work that I do whether it's music or the podcast or the organization community building or it's mentorship or it's my poetry or if it's a book or no matter what I do the community is always supporting me you get what I'm saying so like that's another thing and and you can't control how the community supports you or if they support you because Nashville is so difficult to please and it's almost impossible to be a real nigga to everybody you know what I'm saying you can't be a real motherfucker to everybody you know what I'm saying I don't know if we can curse okay but you know what I'm saying so and I ain't trying to appease nobody either you feel what I'm saying that's another thing like I ain't one of them appeasing pleasing people you know what I'm saying I'm firm on my boundaries building boundaries that's another thing I ain't think about but how did I sustain what I got I build boundaries healthy boundaries um having boundaries uh kind of keeps you from getting burnt out and also your vision getting your vision jarred you know when there's so many things being thrown at you you got to keep your boundaries and you got to uh protect your energy you know what i'm saying if people give you sour energy get them sour energy if people give you good energy get them good energy you know what i'm saying that's how i feel that's how i really care myself like man if it ain't if it ain't on the frequency of love then I just because like my PTSD different and if I'll create scenarios that don't even exist and then lean into the bullshit it's like man I could have just step back got the facts don't react you know that's being more yeah yeah you know what I'm saying so that's very important though you know what I'm saying that's very important you know be humble but also be confident and be prepared to be flexible Oh, yep. Thank you so much for talking with us. Giving us your insight, your knowledge, your sound bite with no impulse. Intention. Yep. Yes. Man, y'all can support us at Recycle Reinvest on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, all of it And then go to our website www.recyclereinvest.org If you're interested in volunteering Donating or joining our team To help close the gap between trash to crime And heal the, heal the earth As we heal each other We'll heal the community and we'll heal the earth Thank you Peace and life
We are back for part two. We are still at the Nashville Black Market, but now we are inside a little bit, inside, outside. And I'm sitting down with a serial entrepreneur, Rob, as well as a mental health therapist, James. And instead of doing a school to prison pipeline conversation, we're going to do a prison to politics pipeline conversation. So the first question I want to ask both of you is when someone gets incarcerated, who is impacted? Who all is impacted? The family, your kids. I mean, you know, when I went to prison, it was more so like my whole family went to prison because I was, of course, the provider. And so when I left, it it affected everyone's life, right? And uh, the biggest regret I had is leaving them out there, you know, for those five years that I I was gone, you know, because my girls needed me. I'm a father of, uh, of five children, right? And, you know, a lot of them were affected by that and still to this day which is ultimately the reason I changed is because I never wanted to put them in a position to think that daddy didn't care enough about them to give up the money right and um, so yeah everyone was affected my mom everyone got incarcerated the day I left James, I'm going to ask you that question as well, being that you work in the counseling space. Mm -hmm. Do you work with those that have come out or work with the families that have been affected with those that are still inside? You know, you're talking very proper right now uh, for this type of interview. Well, so let me mix this up a little bit. I'm going to jump off the top row with what Rob said. And the family is definitely affected by it. They have loss of wages, loss of income, but also loss of a model in the family unit. And I think that is so important right now of having our children have a viable certain models to follow after. We know what happened with the 80s and the crime bill that happened in the 90s as well and what it did to a lot of minority families with that. Sure. Also, too, let's talk about the fact that when those individuals do come home, the lack of opportunities that are available to them when they come in, the things they have to struggle to get back with. Now, we're looking at a success right here, which is Robert, but not everybody has been able to bridge that gap. So our whole command, well, families as well as our communities are impacted. I love how you mentioned, you know, like yourself, and you have a few you have the cleaning service mm-hmm. as well as the dream initiative mm-hmm. as well as the youth pro- the youth program is with the dream initiative as well yeah two two different two different yeah. ones yeah. so with that you've created opportunities for those that are coming out what helped you even get into a space where you can have those opportunities for others like how did you find an opportunity for yourself because what i tend to see is a lot of times when there's beautiful success stories like yourself mm-hmm. it's more independent and entrepreneurial like there's not really anyone helping to get you there So when I got out, um, I knew that, you know, I had to go into entrepreneurship, you know what I'm saying? Because there wasn't a job that would employ a felon, right? At least one that will allow gainful employment, a livable wage is what we call it, right? So I knew entrepreneurship was the way to go. And so I started my janitorial company when I got out of prison. I worked for Majano's for a year. I was a food runner and busser, which I needed that, 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 that time to humble me even more. God utilized that moment. And I never forget it um, uh, that's what got me to kind of who I am because when I got out I still had a little arrogance in me right and so that was uh, that thing that kind of got the last bit of oomph out of me right and so 
um, through the grace of God, I was just able to grind and never give up. See, so when failure is not an option, then you won't fail, right? Failure was never an option for me. I had no choice but to succeed. But what we see a lot of times is that, man, I hate to say it, but I mean, a lot of our our, our culture is, is is lazy. You know, a lot of our people don't wanna don't wanna push through and get to the other side. They don't want to sustain a level of engagement long enough to get a desired result, right? And it's easy to place blame. The easiest thing for a person to do is blame a situation, external situation on a current, on their current situation. And I just, I couldn't afford to do that. And so with that, I was able to do some things that hasn't been done in the history of this country, which is be pardoned by a governor and a president. That's cool. That's, uh, that's cool, but it ain't cool because I, I want to be the exception. I don't want to be the exception to the rule. I want to be the standard, right? I want this to be a lot of more success stories. And that's why I advocate and that's why I fight every day for equity as it return as it pertains to return citizens because I don't want to be the only story. I'm tired of being the token guy that got pardoned by Trump and got pardoned by the governor walking in the room and I'm looking around like I, y'all clapping but it's only me. When it's millions of men and women affected by the criminal justice system, right? And um, and so, uh, granted, God was able to, to 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 put me on a pedestal, give me a platform to be an example, and that's why I fight every day. But um, through that, I was able to start, of course, my janitorial company, my event spaces, and be a simple serial entrepreneur. And again, I just give all that glory to God because it, it wasn't me; it's really Him, you know, to put it so I could be able to use my experiences to help others. So. I hope that answers your question. (laughs) I do want to say one thing to it. Um, Yes, you want to give the blessings and the things to God for giving you the strength, but it's you that still had to walk that path and to take his message. Because we can get all the messages from him and be like, you know what, I'm going to just go to sleep today. But you were like, you know what, I see it, I receive it, so I also want to give that to you as well. It's Thank you me. and God, it's your relationship together. For sure. Thank so, that works is dead. I, for sure. I everyone's dropping bars today. Yeah. I do want to do a follow-up question for you before I pass it on to James. Uh, yeah, I'm coming because after this question... <laughs> I love how you said you don't want to be the only. Being that you are looked at as such a success story, that means that there's others in the community that turn to you. I've only been in Tennessee for a couple of hours, and I've already seen the way that people turn to you and feel safe with you. How does that impact you feeling that pressure of, wow, I'm looked at as this success rate, so now there's so many others like me looking to me for answers, and there could be some days where I just want to disconnect and be with my kids. How do you balance that? There's never a balance. Ever, ever, ever will there ever be a balance between work life and home life, particularly if you're out there grinding, getting it, right? Um, So I haven't found the balance. And when someone finds the balance, then shoot me an email so I can know uh, of the balance. Um, But what I will say is I prayed to God and I asked God, I said, Lord, why did you take me through all of this? Why was I born to, we're in 37208, right? Right now, filming this in a black-owned establishment. Shout out to Minerva, Black Rob, for allowing us to use the space. But 37208, one of the most incarcerated uh, 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 zip codes in the country, is where we are. This is my neighborhood. I grew up literally on these streets of Buchanan, right? And so I asked God, why did he board me to a family? that My crack-addicted mom, my dad died in prison when I was 16. I've been on my own since I was 13, running up and down these streets. Uh, And he answered and said, because 
because I could trust you with the story. And I was like, what that mean? He said, Robert, we are stewards of our experiences, right? I sent you through that, not for you, but for others, right? So when I get weak, when I get weary, it's 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 that that I turn to that word because it lets me know it's not about me. I have to push on for others, right? And if y'all truly believe in equity and truly believe in helping others, then you push through. And that's you know that's just kind of been my magic bullet, right? I just push through because I know it's bigger than me, right? Your why is your anchor when you get tired, and my why is bigger than me, right? And so that's my anchor. I love that you said that's your anchor. Sorry to do a little shameless plug. Where's my? I actually have an anchor tattooed on me, and it has a little heart in it because I always say that I'm very adventurous because I love learning from others. So I love learning by storytelling and experiences, but I'm always anchored by love. Like what's always going to ground me, what's always going to bring me back, and it's love. And what does that love look like? My family, my friends, my friends that are family, my why, my purpose. So I love that response. But now I got to throw it over to you. Based on his response, mm -hmm. when those are coming out and those within the community, they don't feel safe looking or asking for help. Mm -hmm. So Rob is an amazing person for the fact that people can feel safe going to him, looking for help, looking for guidance. Mm -hmm. Why do you feel like there's still a resistance with mental health resources and our community and our culture looking for guidance from those that are licensed mental health, clinical mental health, anything in the mental health realm? like that? connection still isn't fully there well 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 first and foremost man there are not a lot of mental health clinicians that look like me and so I'll tell you a quick story about 20 seconds one of the, I'll never forget one of my clients who uh, came to me and has been on his earth for a significant amount of time but he said something very powerful he said that I don't want to receive therapy from my oppressor and that hit me very hard right there because the relatability factor, you know, the, the ability to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is what we talk about a lot this day and age. But the fact is he didn't feel safe in sharing his story and sharing his troubles and his trials and his tribulations and everything that goes along with that. So there are not a lot of male, I mean, maybe what, less than 2% males or therapists, you know, 4%. Thank you, Kat. <laughs> There's not a lot of us in there. So the safe spaces that we have to be able to talk to and help find that effective help. We can go to the pastor, but guess what? The pastor has his own issues and challenges as well. The pastor gives you the Bible, and I love the Bible. But when you're talking to someone who's dealing with something of a mental health diagnosis nature, you need someone who's been trained in that area. And so there are not a lot of us that are trained in there to speak to those specific needs of our community. You know, especially some of the challenges that happen while a person is incarcerated and while their family members are on the outside. The stories, the horrors, the traumatic experiences. All this stuff has been researched. A lot of things that happen to striations in the brain development. A lot of this stuff has been researched. We know what it is, but we don't have enough workers, you know. So that's why there is a big block. It's just like a, a, a bottleneck effect to some extent. And we have to create spaces for that to happen. We have to create scholarships. We have to create other individuals from the minority community to fill in those roles so that our culture and our community can be much better. I love how you mentioned the relatable aspect. I had once asked someone, I said, why are you resistant into looking into additional services? And then they basically mentioned the line of questioning is triggering. 
like now I'm triggered all over again because questioning, I'm thinking about my oppressor. Right. Even if it is someone that is from the culture, right. like they can still look across from another black person and feel like now you're triggering me thinking about oppression. But what about the aspect of a formerly incarcerated person going into being a counselor? Mm -hmm. They don't allow that as well because, well, now you have a felon, now I'm not gonna take you to the school, now you can't do these classes. Yeah. Do you think that's by design by society to have that prevention and that connectability to be able to help actually rehabilitate those that have been incarcerated? Well, the, the more that I get into this work, the, the more I realize that things are very systemic. You know, these are systemic by design, and they are designed to keep people in a certain position, a certain place. We know what works is research. You know, we know that certain therapeutic modalities will speak to a specific nature and help that individual. We know that certain programs will help a certain individual. I mean, but if I cut that off from a certain population of individuals, they will continue to stay in a certain area. And it's by design, unfortunately. But the great thing about our culture is we're resilient people. We came over on a sea cruise uh, 400 some odd years ago. And then unfortunately, we endured, but we have triumphed from that. So more than likely, we will find a way. It just takes time, and it takes people having these conversations or manifestations. I love how you had mentioned, you know, we're resilient and the fact that we came in on a sea cruise. We are celebrating Juneteenth this weekend, but with Juneteenth, what does being free and what does freedom mean to you as a black man, and especially as a black man who once had their freedom taken away from them? It's, I, I really can't celebrate because all I see is the re-enslavement and re-enslavement of us, of, of black people, like, and I think we're doing it just self-inflicted. Like, we was freed physically to just re-enslave ourselves mentally. And through pop culture, through, through this, this, I don't even know what to call it. I, it's like a spell has been put on us with pitting us against one another. The the senseless killings, the the the, the guns and the posting. All I do is scroll on social media, and all I see is young black men on there flashing guns, money, and jewelry, and and risking their lives to obtain it, keep it, and even killing to get it and so it's hard for me to celebrate these days these days because i feel like we're we're just enslaved all over again with a stronger master and it's ourselves so these days are just real hard they're, 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 it's heartache for me because i go into juvenile i go into prisons and i preach and teach to men and women Two days out the week. I mean, I don't know tell how many hours a year that I spend pouring into tomorrow's leaders, but to leave and also be in a pessimistic state mentally because it's like they're reprobate. If you look up there, it's like there, there, there's nothing. The, the biggest analogy I can give you is when you go to a restaurant, they take a steak and they sear it. 
and they put it on one side, sear it, and put it on the other. The Bible says in the last days that that the the hearts of the 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 the, the, the minds of men will be seared. And so what that means when you sear steak, it locks in the juices. Nothing comes in and nothing gets out. So it's stuck. So I can go in and talk and talk and talk, but nothing's going in. And nothing is coming out. And they're just stuck. And then they, and they die in it. And this is just happening all over the world. We're the only culture that allow these type of music to be played to our children. The 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 the, the the negativity surrounding women, the spin your block kid, you shoot your house up, kid, your girl too. All of that. We listen to it and we bounce to it. And then it's happening. Right? And we and people don't want to talk about it. All these people that got these platforms don't want to talk about this. I had these discussions. We're perpetuating this. When are we gonna take some accountability? Do you have a response to that before I ask you a question? I was like, I want that freedom question. What does freedom look like to you today, and what do you want freedom to look like for black people and in the future? Okay. So you got a double up question. A double up question? Yeah. I might forget the second part. But <laughs> okay. So here's the thing for me. I take it from the tenets of um, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is change the thought, change the action. So until you can really be free in your thoughts and your perceptions and the way you perceive life and everything that goes along with that, then you will always be bound. And so here's the thing. A lot of guys who have done uh, some things that are seedy and not so well, it started with a thought. But guess what? They're free now. But sometimes those thoughts are still conflicted mm -hmm. because there has been not any change. There has not been any transformation in their thinking. So they're still bound. So now I still think that me having four or five different women is the way to go. I still think that I got to go put this piece in front of a dude, man, because it's pimped or or anything like that. I mean, get it by any means necessary. I still have these thoughts that I wrestle with or anything like that. My belief is when you begin to take captivity of those thoughts, then our actions will become differently. And that's true freedom. But until then, until we have a recognized culture that says, you know what, we may have done something differently. It's the funniest thing. Um, after, if you can research this, after uh, Len Bias unfortunately um, died, uh, there was a lot of uh, referendums and legislation cracking down on substance abuse and, and all that goes along with that. But if you look back today, not a lot of those same congressmen says, we went too far. We made a mistake. Because a lot of that legislation led to the captivity and incarceration of a lot of minorities. And that's the thing, is that sometimes we have to get to the point where we say, you know what, we've gone too far. We've got to do something different. And that's the seed that drops in the bucket. That's the crack in the dam that begins the outpour that we need right now. How do we as a community, as a culture, and specifically for those that have been incarcerated and have different experiences than us, work towards becoming unstuck with our mindset? Because what we're saying like sounds a bit easier because we're in that world and we've done that work, but to get someone to get to the point where this is the work I need to do can be a bit challenging or a bit scary for them. It's very uncomfortable. I could say healing is very uncomfortable. The days that I have my therapy sessions, please don't talk to me for an hour. I feel disgusting. Give me a second. I gotta catch myself. 
Okay. Since you put me on the spot right there, I'm gonna give you uh, three tennis real quick. So one is the first thing is you gotta realize that you are stuck. Unless you understand that there's a situation or a circumstance that has happened with you where you're not moving forward, where you're not gaining any ground, where those who are coming behind you are vastly affected by your challenges, then you will continue that negative perception. Now, here's the other portion that goes along with that. You gotta ask for help. A lot of times, African-American males, as well as males, period, we have a big ego. We don't like to ask for help. We don't like talking to anybody. You know, we don't want to show weakness. We don't want to let anybody see us sweat. That's what I learned back in the 80s. I mean, I was in the barbershop, and I heard that as a faucet, never let see you sweat. And so you linking out for help or anything like that is a no-no. But when my wide receiver coach talks to me, he says, look, he's jamming you on the front line. Jam him back, take two steps back, we're gonna do this move. It's about asking those who are helping you or in your vicinity to help you make you better. And that did make me better when I was able to be receptive and I was able to listen. The last thing about that is consistency. We gotta be consistent in our process of change. A lot of people, we try things for five minutes, we try things for six minutes, we say, man, toss this, this ain't working. But now, it takes time, it takes time to change. And another little thing is, and not to nerd out on you, the brain has so much plasticity in it. The ability, plasticity means the ability to change. However, the older you get, the more energy and work it takes for you to change that. So my point is, is that you have to take a consistent effort so that you can, quote unquote, unstuck yourself. And when you do those things effectively, it will work. Just like a drop of water, if it continues to hit this table, will make an indentation and a groove. Continuing to do your work, continuing to put in the effort, continuing to surround yourselves with positivity, that will put that groove within your heart, your life, your being, so that you can be that agent of change for not only yourself, but someone else. Angel to change is my word. You stole it. You stole my website. I saw it. I'm going to ask you the same question, but I'm going to ask it in the sense of how are you able to unstuck yourself when you can have episodes and periods of PTSD that you don't mean to come up, but due to the experiences that you have, just make it a little bit more challenging and make that intimidation of asking for help that may have not been granted to you during that time frame to be like, I'm not there anymore and I can ask for help today and actually get the help that I need. I think it's a working process. I mean, I struggle with anxiety to this day. I've been battling anxiety for the last 20 years. Um, I'm just now being able to talk about it. Uh, it's severe. Like most days, I just have to fight through and I have my moments. Um, I've, I've, I've adopted a lot of coping mechanisms, um, but I still struggle, right? Um, the PTSD aspect of it, I think for me, I feel as if it's so deeply embedded with the trauma that I experienced as a child that, again, I can only manage it. I don't think it ever really, and I could be wrong, but again, I'm a person who's struggling with it versus a therapist, but sometimes I feel like it's just so deep-rooted you know, I, I just think the best way is to find ways to manage it, right? And so what I've done with my PTSD is I've just learned to manage it, right? I have a therapist that I talk to uh, here and there. I need to get back going.
going more more often but what I've learned is you know we love to try to self-medicate ourselves <laughs> like we always man I tell I tell my wife I'm like look every time my little girl something's wrong she said oh just do that I said you ain't no doctor you know listen Tylenol don't fix everything everyone's just listening stop stop medicating you know what I mean if your child's like take them to the professional okay um, and so I, I I take that advice as well like I need to stop self-medicating myself and I need to go seek professional help consistently because it's only what you do consistently that formulates habits that leads to change that's how that works there's no getting around that that antidote okay um, and so what I urge the listeners to do is to definitely talk to a prof- licensed professional as someone who's successful who's done some amazing things but I struggle with mental health you know I do and I know a lot of people that do as well so um, the biggest thing like I think I'm at a loss for words on this one because I'm still struggling right so I hope this helps some more I do want to ask um, one quick follow-up to that what are you doing when you can't speak to a professional to manage when those PTSD moments come up like what are some of those mechanisms those coping skills that you can utilize in those moments where it's like I can't get to someone I'm not gonna get to someone for two weeks this is what I could do in this moment because I'm able to identify this isn't that but I'm still right here and I don't really know what to do right now so I've learned to breathe I've learned to 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 um, get myself out of wherever like if I was experiencing one right now I would go in the restroom quiet sit down and just like and just calm down because most of the time my anxiety comes because my mind is in this negative state of panic and like what ifs right what ifs to get you all the time right you're painting out you're drawing out scenarios in your head and your body and you do it so long and again action like you're starting to think this stuff is true right and so just trying to stay positive and and positive self-talk breathing removing myself from a situation calming down those are those have been some of the mechanisms that that help me and i know that somebody's like well they're small when you're ready we have real anxiety they're everything right and so uh that's what i would suggest I'm going to just quickly ask the therapist here if you can give some mechanisms and coping um, coping skills for those that are struggling with PTSD that don't have a licensed professional in their pocket at the moment. Like, is there three to five that you could suggest? Rob mentioned he goes to the bathroom, he finds his breath. Are there some others that you can suggest to those in the interim as well? But I mean, you can do box breathing. I mean, that's one of the breathing techniques are great. I like grounding. Something simple as just taking your shoes off and feeling the ground beneath your feet, you know, and putting and centering you into the here and now, you know, not what happened to you when you were four or five or even yesterday, but man, coming to the here and now and just knowing that, like, am I in a safe space? Yes, you know, are my bills paid? Maybe not, but they're going to be, you know, are some other things in my life in order or they're getting in order? 
yes, you know, we got to start looking to that goal, which is positivity as opposed to the negative aspect of it. And um, so we have box breathing, we have um, grounding, we have also to journaling. I mean, being able to get it out on paper or using your uh, technological device, your phone, and using voice notes. If you want to take whatever, you, sometimes I go and I'll just be talking on my phone. I'm not talking to anybody per se, per se but I am in there and I'm going ham just talking about things that are frustrating me. Those things sometimes you have to get out. You have to release those, you know, and then being honest. We can lie to everybody else, but you can't lie to yourself. So being able to diffuse that is very powerful. I love that. Like, I call it labeling it. Like, I want to label this emotion. I want to label this feeling. I want to label where I am right now. Yeah, just say this is jacked up. <laughs> that part? Yeah. So to label it, to close out with the labeling, what is your definition or what would you change to be the definition of a black man? I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change much of anything. I think that I embody the true definition of what a black man stands for. But what I will ask black men, but it came through a lot of trial and error, hurt, pain, growth, and all of that. As a forty-year-old man, I can say that. But what I will say quickly is that accountability. My favorite word. We kings. Drop the mic. <laughs> And since that's the mic drop, thank you all for tuning in for Black Men Cry 2. Please be sure that you are following James and Rob and supporting their initiatives and their missions. So we are increasing black male therapists from 4% to 40%. And we are increasing the amount of success rates from 1 to 21 to 2100 and on and on and on and on. Happy Juneteenth. Thank you for tuning in for Black Men Cry 2. And thank you guys for being the example of black men. Thank you.